Hello, I'm Michael Barr, along with Scott Soschnick and Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi-Williams. This week, we'll explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And we will talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this show, we focus on the most popular sport around the world, soccer. We will look at how we can gain in popularity in the U.S. with the Deputy Commissioner of Major League Soccer, Mark Abbott. And we're also talking to President of the second most valuable soccer club in the world, FC Barcelona's Josep Bartomeu. We will have those interviews in a few minutes, but first, let's look at the top business sports stories of the week. And let's start with the Big Ten NCAA football announcing new TV deals with Fox, ESPN, and CBS. Yeah, and basketball as well. That's what this is about. You're going to see so much Big Ten content on this platform. Never-ending stream. I guess in these days you can't say stream because that would mean you're you're watching it on your iPad. But a never-ending amount of Big Ten games, football, basketball. Eben, is there a risk with all this that you get tired of seeing it? I don't think you'll get tired of it, but it does highlight the absolute inequality that exists right now in college sports. The Big Ten re-upped it, tripled their, their media rights price. It's $440 million a year. And you go around college football, Conference USA, another FBS Division I conference, they get $2.8 million a year. $440 million a year for the Big Ten, $2.8 million for Conference USA. There is horrible inequality in college football. It's only getting wider with deals like this. Um, and at some point, something's going to break. So does Jim Delaney mean that when he says, and I quote, College football has never been healthier. It's also never been more fragile. <laughs> That's both of those are right. I mean, it's, I mean, he's right. It's incredibly healthy if you're in the Big Ten and you're cashing your your $35 million check, which is the distribution that the Big Ten gives to all of its schools each year, largely as a part of, of deals like this. Um, but it's fragile in the fe- in the sense that, yeah, if you're Southern Miss, if you're Louisiana Tech in Conference USA, you can't compete with Michigan, you can't compete with Ohio State. You just don't have the money to do it. So it's Fox, ABC, ESPN for football. It's CBS's basketball. And this partnership runs about six six years. So everything's going to expire about the same time. And then we'll see in that grand race for coverage, whether it's going to be Amazon or Google, whoever winds up showing this stuff in the future, there's going to be in the 2021-2022 time frame. A lot of stuff up for bid. There was concern in this round for the Big Ten that they might not get a huge rights increase. There was concern it might even go down. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, it tripled, so it went up a lot. Uh, big sigh of relief, I'm sure, from, from Big Ten ADs. But you're right. The next round of negotiations across all sports is going to be absolutely fascinating. I do enjoy the fact that one of the things that held this up from being announced was the Friday night programming. Friday Night Lights. There was a problem with these high schools weren't too happy with the college game infringing on their time. Another story we're looking at in the business of sports. This is near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I know. Here you go for the racing thing. I'm sorry. Okay. Dale Earnhardt Jr., he'll sign a multi-year deal on air with NBC. He's retiring after this season, which, again, makes me cry. But you know what? This is now, it's going to be cool because Fox, they have, obviously, Jeff Gordon. And now NBC, they're going to have Dale Earnhardt Jr. You have two guys who are from the Rick Hendricks stable, and now they're going at it head-to-head. I love how you say obviously. I didn't know any of that. I feel totally out of my depth (laughs) in this conversation. As the non-gearhead to the left here, you know, everything's left turns, I'm, I'm cognizant, obviously, of Dale Earnhardt Jr. I know he's a big star, so clearly he breaks through. He's he's beyond just that core base of NASCAR fans. But what else is he going to do? That's interesting here that it's not just auto racing. 
Maybe he's like a Charles Barkley type here. They're looking for him to, to be a utility guy. He could do Olympics. He right. likes football. Could we see Dale Earnhardt on that Football Night in America show? Seems as if NBC, Eben has big plans for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Absolutely, and I say this without ever having heard him in the broadcast booth, but I love the idea of recent players in whatever sport it is joining the broadcast booth right after retiring. We saw it, and it's going to happen with Tony Romo here. We see it with Alex Rodriguez. There's something very enticing about athletes who are have just done that sport that are able to kind of take you through as a listener what these guys are thinking about, what it's like to be a NASCAR driver in 2017. And I think that he uh, there's a chance he's a huge success here. Yeah, Fox caught lightning in that little snippet where you saw A-Rod talking, hitting with Frank Thomas and Pete Rose. And it wasn't even meant to be that. It was supposed to be a meant, meant to be a shorter segment. But they kept with it because they could tell people would find this compelling. Maybe we're going to see some of that, too. And NASCAR is one of those sports, Michael, where I think most people who watch it have no idea what, what goes through the driver's mind, what they're feeling, what they're thinking, what, what the conversations are like between their pit crew when they're on the road. Those are all things that Dale Earnhardt Jr. can, can, can illuminate. And NASCAR needs a boost because the attendance at some of the tracks have been down. So hopefully this will boost things for NASCAR. Another topic that we're looking at on the business of sports we're talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers and we're talking about Kyrie Irving and we're talking about I want to go because I'm sick of LeBron James and all of this and blah 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 what is going on you're gonna like this you ready the caution flag is out in Cleveland oh, oh, you like that you like, you like, like, Evan, that? I like what he did I, the, the, the car is spinning it's starting to fishtail I just don't know if it's gonna start flipping all over the place because that's what this is setting in motion. If Kyrie is out and just goes to the Knicks or the Timber, whatever he wants, they lose him. LeBron doesn't seem happy. Uh-oh, if I'm Dan Gilbert. It's funny that we followed what was probably a pretty boring NBA season and postseason with what has to be one of the most intriguing off-seasons in recent memory. The NBA is now a full-time, 365 days a year thing you need to follow. From the award show, to the draft, to free agency, now to this drama, everybody's talking basketball all the time. Adam Silver couldn't be happier. But this is something that really pertains to the business of sports. If Kyrie Irving leaves the Cavaliers, and then later on LeBron James leaves the Cavaliers, Dan Gilbert, look out, because your value of your NBA team goes down big time. Yeah, we're talking perhaps, if the season tickets aren't there, hundreds of millions of dollars. Our thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Noby-Williams. And now on the program, we would turn our attention to the world of soccer. In a few minutes, we will speak to the president of one of the most valuable franchises in the world, FC Barcelona's Joseph Bartomeu. That's right, Michael. But first, let's begin with soccer in the U.S. Believe it or not, Major League Soccer has been in existence for almost a quarter of a century. It doesn't seem that long. Mark Abbott was the first employee. He's the deputy commissioner. Mark, thanks for joining us. I've lost track because of all the expansion and, and the plans. How many teams do you have these days? So, you know, we're in our 22nd season, and we have 22 teams this year, which has been uh, uh, growth from where we first began with 10 teams. Uh, we have a second team that's joining us in L.A. next year, LAFC. That'll be our 23rd team. And as I think you probably know, we've been working to try and file, finalize a deal with David Beckham in Miami, which would bring us to 24. In December, we announced that our goal is to go to 28 teams. 
and we asked uh, markets and interested owners to submit applications by the end of January. So in January uh, of this year, 2017, at the end of the month, we received applications from 12 markets to be one of the next four teams. And uh, right now the timetable is to select two of those teams, uh, which would be teams 25 and 26 by the end of this year. And at that time, we'll announce the timetable for the selection of the next two teams, which would be teams 27 and 28. So let's say one of our listeners likes soccer and wants to get in on this action. What's it cost them to get an MLS team these days? So the price for clubs 25 and 26 is $150 million. uh, And we haven't yet set the price for 27 and 28. Why in the world has the U.S. lagged behind a sport that is popular all around the world, and the U.S. is slowly catching on now to this sport. Yeah, it really has. You know, and in the last five or six years in particular, there's been tremendous growth in the fan base. So, you know, just some rough stats. There are about 80 million people in the United States and Canada who watch uh, professional soccer league. That's, that's not just counting the World The World Cup's a much bigger number, over 120, 130 million. But if you're just talking about people who watch a league, could be our league, could be the English Premier League, could be the Italian League. That's about 80 million people. So that's a pretty sizable uh, group. We are chatting with Mark Abbott, the Deputy Commissioner of Major League Soccer. And Mark, you mentioned the World Cup. We're bidding for another one. What are the implications? I mean, the yeah. team's going to win, the team's going to qualify for the next World Cup. Looks like it. The implications for MLS on one, the team making it, and then if we hosted another one. Well, in terms of making it, it's another opportunity to show the growth of uh, soccer in the United States and the contributions of the league towards that. So uh, a lot of the players on the league, uh, I'm sorry, on the national team are players that play you know, for their clubs here in Major League Soccer. And so you can uh, get more exposure when they're playing in the World Cup and people who might not be following the league see those players and have an opportunity to really see them the next week in their hometown. Uh, and so that's a great opportunity for us. In terms of having the World Cup in the United States, it is an, ex- uh, an opportunity, again, to really highlight uh, how big the market here is for, for our sport and uh, expose it to people who may not otherwise have been exposed to it. And so just as we used the World Cup in 1994 to help launch the league, we launched in 1996 coming out of the World Cup, I think having the World Cup in 2026 is another opportunity really to uh, help continue to grow the league. So much of the revenue streams when it comes to pro sports is the media component of things. Where do you see MLS's media, whether it be traditional TV or new streamers such as Google or Amazon, where do you see it going for Major League Soccer? So right now we have uh, national agreements with uh, ESPN and Fox and Univision, and those run through 2022. And we're fortunate to be partners with some of the leading media companies uh, in the world. But we, uh, we view our league as among that class of really premium content that whatever the distribution channels of the future are, is we're going to be in-demand content for those uh, distribution channels. So uh, whether uh, the cable model remains or whether the digital distribution shifts uh, primarily to over-the-top types distributions, there always has been and there always will be uh, a demand for premium content that people want to pay for, and Major League Soccer is going to be in that group of content. Well, you mentioned those agreements. So what are Major League Soccer fans supposed to make of Ricardo Silver's offer to you $4 billion for a system of relegation? If people don't know what that is, that's when the bottom half of the, or the bottom teams in the league go down to an, uh, another league. I mean, it seemed like very self-serving because he knew you couldn't negotiate a deal. But what are we supposed to make from that? 
Well, I mean, I think you you, you just said it, right? I, I, and I've seen other commentary that I think it was uh, kind of a – uh, an opportunity that he was trying to take to get some publicity is, as, as you said, we have uh, long-term contracts and uh, our partners have uh, rights to first negotiation and uh, exclusive rights to extend those agreements. And so we weren't in a position to uh, react to the proposal. It's, uh, it's difficult to even think about how you would react to a proposal that takes place six or seven years from now. Uh, anyway, and, and so, and, and lastly, and, and we said this uh, in, in some of the comments we made around the time that, that uh, this was uh, reported about is, you know, we would never sell our rights to a third-party broker. Uh, we we uh, have direct relationships with our broadcast partners. That's really the way that uh, you want to do it to ensure that not just that you have the, the rights fees in place that you need, but that you have the right schedule and marketing and promotion editorial coverage, all of those types of things. And so, you know, I, I think you correctly characterized it as just a, a play to try and get some publicity for this idea, but uh, uh, not something that uh, uh, we could or were interested in pursuing. What will it take to get more major cities involved in MLS soccer? I mean, it's a big sport, and the more cities you have, obviously, and the more major yeah. cities, the better for the sport. So, you know, it's a good question, and uh, by the end of next year or shortly thereafter, we'll have 24, and we're in some of the most major markets now. We're in New York, and we're in L.A., and we're in Atlanta. We have almost all the top uh, 20 markets covered at this point. There are a few few that we don't yet, uh, but we have 12 markets uh, and some really big markets that we're not yet in, Tampa, Detroit, Phoenix, uh, just to name a few, that are competing to be the next four. Uh, and so what these markets really see is what the current owners in the league see, which is this is a sport that has achieved a, a lot in a relatively short period of time, but continues to have a lot of upside. And so there's both a reality uh, to our current success, uh, but people believe a lot of room still to grow. And I think that's what's attracting really some of just the, the great owners in professional sports wanting to get involved with us. We're talking to MLS Deputy Commissioner Mark Abbott. Another key component about this sport, the stadium. Will we see more standalone stadiums for MLS? Well, we will. You know, uh, we started that, uh, and like a lot of things, Lamar Hunt, who was one of our original owners, uh, pioneered that. You, you may know he was uh, one of the founders of the American Football League and one of our original owners. And he built the first uh, what we call soccer-specific stadium, purpose-built stadium for professional soccer in Columbus, Ohio, in 1999. And since then, we've built 15 more. So 16 of our teams uh, play in these. And those that don't, uh, other than with a, a couple exceptions where – we're getting attendances uh, over 40,000 already. There's no need to build a new stadium for them. Everybody will. And as part of our expansion requirements, you're required to have a stadium plan to build uh, a soccer-specific stadium. So it remains a, a key part of the strategy and, and one, I think, that's really helped propel the growth over the last, uh, well, almost 20 years since Lamar built the first one. All right, Mark, my son is eight years old. He likes all sports. Can you guess how he follows soccer? My guess is he might play the FIFA game. Oh, you got, you got it. He loves the <laughs> FIFA game. How can you take yes. advantage of kids loving this game? He has learned about Bayern Munich. Yeah. He knows Atletico. Yeah. yeah, how do you take advantage of that? It really is amazing. And so there's a, there's a couple of things. One is we're in the FIFA game, and so there's an opportunity for kids who, who play it to play with their favorite uh, Major League Soccer club. And then, in addition, uh, you know, we're involved with EA as a, a, a partner of ours, and uh, we get involved uh, with them on the gaming side also. So great relationship for us. And, uh, 
great opportunities to, to, to use that game to, to continue to uh, educate uh, people about uh, our league and, and the sport. But as you say, that's not a unique story. Uh, kids across the country are really engaged with that game, and it's, uh, it's uh, an exciting way for them to get exposed to the sport. Yeah, I have a 12-year-old son, and I tried to play FIFA soccer with him. Yes. Uh, and it, it, it did not, <laughs> not work out well. Not at all. I, no. After he was done laughing, it, it, it was just ridiculous. I, I don't even want to get soccer, into Soccer, they say two left feet. He's got two left thumbs in this case. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you on that. And, hey Mark, I'm going to let you peacock for a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Seattle, Portland, Atlanta. I know some owners yeah. and some commissioners would be awfully jealous of the number of people you're putting in these stadiums every week. Well, you know, I appreciate you, you, you highlighting that. So let's just take Atlanta. New team launched this year. Uh, they're going to play in the new uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, but that's not going to open up for uh, a few weeks here yet. So they've been playing at Georgia Tech. You know, we're averaging 47,000 people a game, which is the largest average attendance for any professional sport in the United States outside the NFL. I'm wondering if MLS, would it benefit them to maybe go to schools to pr- help promote the sport in a way? Well, we're very involved in youth soccer in, in two ways. Um, uh, one is all of our clubs have development academies, and so uh, they're an opportunity for kids who potentially could be professional players or be a top-level college players to be in a top-class training environment uh, from uh, relatively early ages. And so all of our clubs do that. And then second, they're all involved in the youth soccer communities in their particular towns and, and cities and uh, a lot of it's involved with helping coaching uh, some of it's involved in uh, helping get the kids out to the stadium to see a game and, and, and so it's a big part of what our clubs do now hey mark you're employee number one at mls number one employee i mean do you get a cool paperweight jacket anything <laughs> yeah, well, maybe first we should use the word first right yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah you were for the first employee but also for those okay. who don't know you you, you were yeah. born in england Yes. A Burnley supporter, yes? Yes. But also correct. a Red Sox fan because you also grew up in Boston. Yes. yes. So John I never Hen- got over the six-game six of the 75 World Series. Oh, I thought, so, you, I uh, thought you were going to yeah. say when they came back against the Yankees. That was going to be a tough one here. <laughs> well, that was incredible. But that was my kids. I, I had my kids watch that. And I'll tell you a quick story. My wife actually made a painting of the Green Monster of that moment with this, the box score right when that was happening. So I have that hung up in my study. Nice. Wow. But, if, but John Henry yeah. owns... Liverpool. Any thoughts of switching? Yeah. I mean, how can you be Burnley and Red Sox? I mean, you should just stick in the <laughs> in, in the Liverpool family. No, I, now, I, no? You know, my father was from a little town outside of Burnley, and so uh, Burnley we have always been, and Burnley we will always be. And there we'll have it. We'll leave it there. Mark Abbott, Deputy Commissioner of MLS. Okay. Thank you very much. Good to chat with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Zerk. And now to round out our soccer-themed show this week, we welcome in Joseph Bartomeu, the president of FC Barcelona. He held the role since 2014 and earlier served as vice president of the team. So you're spending a lot of time in the United States these days, way more than you used to. Explain the philosophy of Barcelona exporting its brand to the U.S., well, not, not only these days. Uh, Barcelona, uh, well, a few years ago, we started to come to the U.S. Uh, U.S. for us is uh, one of the biggest countries, a big market also, uh, where soccer is not still one of the main sports. And what we do, Barcelona, Barca, we are, what we are trying is really to come to the U.S. to try to explain, to teach, uh, to talk about our football, our philosophy of football, and trying, of course, to involve every time more and more people that would like this sport. 
that's why we did summer tours in the past, but uh, one year ago we started really seriously opening our office in New York. We have right now several schools around the U.S. We are just opening now in Long Island in, in, a, few, in a few days. And of course, one of our objectives is to be to settle in, in, in the U.S. As, as one of the brands of one of the clubs, uh, seriously. That's why we are really talking already to open a professional women's soccer team in California. And those days also, we are going to continue talking about this. And let's see if we, we can achieve this objective. That has not often had success here, women's professional sports leagues, especially soccer. Why do you think that's a good investment? Well, we as a club, we we have around 15 uh, different sports, and uh, yeah, people may not know that it's not just FC Barcelona, no, Messi, no, no. Neymar. There's a no. basketball team. No, no, right? okay. Barcelona is a big club. Uh, it's just to explain about this, owned by 145,000 people. Uh, the members are really active, and uh, democracy is there in the club. Uh, we have our assemblies. We have to the present the president as I we are elected for six years period. So it's different club it's a unique club that's different from other clubs where it's they are owned by one or two or two or two person so that's what barcelona we have other other sports we have a basketball team professional basketball team plays in europe uh, basket uh, handball uh, futsal but also we have uh, volley uh, rugby uh, we have plenty of sports at the total of 15. But for us, every time more and more women is more important. And that's why we started a project in a few years ago that women could be more active in our in our club. And right now we have around 2,500 athletes that play in our club. And seven of them, 700 of them are, are women. That's why to start a professional soccer women team in the US, it's key also for us, not only to promote soccer, but also uh, that the women are every day more and more important in our club. Soccer is the most popular sport in the world. So the rest of the world has to be telling the U.S., well, where have you been? Because <laughs> this sport, it, it's it's huge all around the world. Why is the U.S. lagging behind in soccer? Well, uh, you know, I've been traveling to U.S. since I was uh, 14, 15 years old. And uh, I know very much uh, your country and, of course, uh, baseball, basketball, uh, American football, uh, high hockey are the biggest sports. And, but, well, little by little, since the 70s, when uh, some of players came to play in the Cosmo, New York Cosmos Pele. Uh, soccer, yeah. Pele, for example. So little by little, uh, soccer is uh, being introduced. It's important for us also that there is a large community from Latin America in the U.S. living here, that they come from other countries where football or soccer is already a key sport for them. No, uh, So... I think the way we do the things is like opening schools to, to teach the people, the young people from 6 to 14 years old about uh, soccer. It will help us to do it. And that's why we want to, to help, to lead, to help to lead the introduction of soccer in, uh, in the U.S., which is not, of course, right now it's quite important, every time more and more important. And there is one uh, data, it's uh, the, the soccer national U.S. team. It's a, it's a national team which is admired all over the world because uh, they are not doing bad when they, well, there is a World Cup. Well, television, too, is getting more coverage for soccer yes. in the U.S., and yes. that's a big plus. Well, we as a club, as Barca, well, we are one of the more active clubs in, in the world. Just a few days ago, Blogbird, uh, uh, sorry, um, um, uh, we had some good news because we are probably the second largest uh, club on, on value. That's what Forbes says. And also we are one of the clubs with more, probably the, the, the club that we have more 
social uh, followers. We have 310 million social uh, followers in in our networks. So that gives us the the the, the, the impact and uh, and uh, how big is Barça this club for the for the world. And the US, uh, of course, uh, people follow our our team because television every time more and more are offering and live our games, and that's one one of the objective. Of course, that uh, people see the games on live. Uh, you know, and games are very interesting because, for example, we have Leo Messi, which is the best uh, soccer player of the history in our in our team. And uh, people like to see how we play. It's a unique way of playing. Sometimes it's different from other clubs. Uh, so we, we are working very hard for this. We are chatting with Josep Bartomeu, the CEO of FC Barcelona. And Josep, you mentioned soccer gaining in popularity. What is the view of Major League Soccer around the world? Well, the Major League Soccer, uh, uh, we know it, they are improving. We know they are working very hard. And uh, it's really... And we know they are competing with other uh, leagues in the U.S., which are very, 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 very strong. But uh, soccer is coming every time more and more popular in the U.S. And some players from Europe, you know, that they are traveling to play here in the U.S. And that gives th that importance. Uh, for example, one of our best players uh, that was with us is David Villa. The and, MVP and David Villa, yeah, right now is probably one of the more well-known and one of the player of the key players of the MLS. Uh, so, well, that that gives confidence that little by little, uh, of course, the the soccer in the US is going to be more popular. But of course, my interest also is that people not only see the games of the MLS. I want that the people that live here see the games of Barca, and uh, that's why, for example, those days we are coming for this uh, American tour. We have a game. Uh, in New York, another game in Washington and Miami. Forbes magazine recently ranked Barcelona as the fourth most valuable sports franchise all over the world. You are the second behind uh, United. Manchester United. United yes. in football and soccer. Exactly. And what is it going to take to uh, maybe surpass that? <laughs> Well, what I'm very happy is because uh, Barcelona, a few years ago, we were much, much more behind United. United has been, in the, in the last maybe 10, 12 years, the number one, following them very closely every time more and more. So my objective is one day that Barcelona could be the best, uh, of course, uh, soccer club uh, as per Forbes magazine. We are working on it. We are working. How we can do it? Well, uh, at the end, this is not an objective. The objective, of course, is to to play, to show people about soccer, uh, to do good games, to win, of course, to have good players. And if we do all those things correctly, I'm sure that in the future we could be number one. But being number two, Thinking from where we are coming, which was very far behind, we are very proud of it. But we cannot uh, be relaxed and just sit comfortable. We cannot sit comfortable. We have to work. And that's why this project of uh, Barcelona being in, a, in North America it is very important for us. But mainly, not only on football, because people talk about football, about soccer, about our soccer, our academies, but also through our foundation. You know, we have a foundation that we are helping a lot of children in the world. Last year was around one million children in the world. We have partnerships with UNICEF, with the Olympic International Committee, uh, with the United Nations uh, High Commissioner of Refugees, uh, with Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So we are we are having partnership with a lot of uh, entities, which they are very very important, and uh, we help them on on the project on the social projects. Is your business model based on winning? What would happen to the Barca brand and popularity <laughs> if you were not up there in La Liga and playing in international competitions at the top level? Let's see. Winning, 
to win, of course, everybody wants to win. Uh, but Barcelona, since 1979, uh, when we started La Masia, La Masia is a very nice project. It's, like, it's our football academy. Uh, we call it La Masia because it's a, where we started uh, this uh, project. And La Masia is a project based on uh, teaching football in our unique way of looking at soccer. How we see soccer sometimes is different of other clubs, and we teach them to this to the to our young players since they are eight nine years old, with the objective of being in our professional team. At the end, you have to play well and and to and to win. But first of all, it's play well, play as as we we think football should be played. As we see in U.S. sports, nothing's more global than superstars: LeBron James, Steph Curry, yes. Messi. Will Neymar be a part of your future? Well, Neymar is right now has a contract with us for the next coming four seasons. He's a very uh, good player, young player, very talented player, and we want him to continue with us. So uh, Neymar is uh, for us very important as as a player, as the rest of the team, of course, eh? because uh, you know that soccer is a is a, a team work. It's not a work of one uh, only player. Of course, we have Leo Messi, which is the best player of the world for the history of uh, soccer, but uh, also he needs around to have good players and. Uh, Neymar is one of those. Josep Bartomeu, CEO of FC Barcelona. Thank you very much. No, thank you very much for inviting us thank you. Uh, to Barca to, to join us and see you soon. You got it. Thank you. My takeaway, Michael, all the naysayers about soccer may have to reevaluate that position. The number is growing in terms of number of fans. You can't deny 45,000 a night in Seattle, in Portland. In Atlanta, you can't deny the stadiums are coming. You can't deny the interest is growing. Yes, in the greatest teams in the world, they're coming here for a reason because there's lots of money to spend. However, taking their time, U.S.-born stars, Pulisic, some of these other guys, if they stay here, there will be interest. And another big takeaway, video games and soccer is popular with kids on video games. FIFA, that World Cup, they, they love it. And that is something that Mark Abbott said is a key to getting more younger people into playing soccer. Time for the number of the week. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business and Sports, the number of the week. And it is number two. It's number two, but soccer is the number one game in the world, and one of the reasons is all the stars. The number two means only the second Clásico. Do you know what that game is? A Clásico? Barcelona and Messi against Real Madrid y Cristiano Ronaldo. They're going to play this weekend in Miami. Bienvenidos a Miami. That game is sold out. You cannot get a ticket. Two of the biggest, I'm going to say two of the two biggest stars in soccer in Miami. What a venue. Steve Ross is putting this together. <laughs> what star power. I mean, this, this is an event. Only the second time this game, the two biggest clubs in Spain, will play an exhibition outside of Spain. What a spectacle. I'm going to listen back to that again just to hear you. Bienvenidos yes. a Miami con Lionel Messi y Cristiano Ronaldo. You are so versatile. I like it. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with some of the biggest names in the world of sports. Sports.